Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The TalkCast is now being recorded. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Cellar Dwellers. I'm Dave Nelson, and uh, the, the numbers guy, of course, and the you are... The numbers guy, and I'm the other guy. The other guy, the passionate one. This is wild tonight here, Dave, I have to tell you, right hey, off this, the bat. This is the first live show that we've ever done, and that means that... We, we, we were dead before we went No, it means we had the, uh, the ability to insert an editor's note to correct any mistakes we made, but now... You know, they'll just be recorded there, and that's that's that. So no faux pas. No today. faux pas. Just keep on rolling. I caramba. So the first ever live show, and um, you know, being the programming geniuses that we are, <laughs> <laughs> we we've chosen to do our first ever live show in which people could call in. Right? They could dial in right now, uh, and we'll explain how in a minute. But they could dial right right now if they were listening, of course. But we are going up against not only the most popular show on all of television, American Idol, but it's the grand finale night. It the, is the grand finale. It's, it's uh, Taylor and Catherine singing their brains out while we sit here and talk to ourselves and hopefully both, of our, other poor staff. <laughs> right, both <laughs> of our audience members will eventually uh, listen to this as a podcast. Well, it's exciting. Your dad does listen, it. doesn't he? Uh, th- I mean, your mom, your mom. <laughs> your dad probably listens, too. He's probably the only one. Departed from the earth, right, <laughs> and my, with my mom. No, I meant to say your mom probably listens, and my dad. They, so there, we've got, we've got two. at least uh, two listeners. So if the show sounds a little different tonight, uh, indeed it is. It's all live, and we're flying without a wire. Our topic for the evening is fermentation and pressing. The, the reason, I mean, we were talking fermentation last time with the yeast and the adding, the inoculation, and all that kind of stuff, but we didn't really get through all the details. We had some follow-up questions. So truth in advertising, we're going to do a little bit of fermentation and uh, a little bit of pressing. You you cool with that? Which, which by the way, don't express, expect us to get all the way through the pressing either <laughs> because we tend to not quite hit our targets. That's probably true. I should mute my computer here so we don't get these extraneous noises as we're recording the show. As we were finishing up the show last time, you said something about hands down. It was a hands down the best show we'd ever done or... I don't, I don't remember. Recall, but I don't recall, but if I did, I uh, that just goes to show you how idiom, <laughs> idiom we are. Right, exactly. Idiom um, unaware. I've been called worse. Well, I looked up in the uh, Morris Dictionary of Word and Phrase Origins. Is that Morris of... That's Morse. Oh, <laughs> Not more. Morse or less, the same thing. <laughs> more, Morse or less, I'm sure you're right. We should uh, check out where that came now, from. Now, all of this incredible technology, and you're holding a book. A book. Well, that's because if the technology crashes, we have to be able to go back <laughs> to, to basics here, right? But it turns out even the book did me no good on this one. Hands down, 
I what looked in there, there, there was squat. And then I started thinking, well, what is, where did Sarah come from? <laughs> and squat wasn't in here either. And this book is like two inches thick. So it has nothing about hands down or nothing about squat. So I think I had to make up my own or surmise my own oh, origin gosh, here we go. for hands down. Okay. So listen to this and you tell me. I'll, I'll I, your name. I think hands down comes from maybe about 100 years ago. When you wanted to resolve a problem with, you know, some other guy, it was fisticuffs. You put right. your hands up and duked it out. Right. But to win hands down means that you were so intimidating or for some other reason scared the crap out of your opponent. This is a A-rated all-audiences show. So That's let's try true. to keep this. Uh, uh, don't don't uh, use any language the kids don't like. We can't beep it out now after the fact. But... Your opponent was so intimidated that he or she backed away, you could win with your hands down. Does that sound reasonable? That sounds reasonable. That well, does sound reasonable. And, and now, now you, you brought out your Morse, Morris. Morris, book. like the cat. But what about the websites? We've had some interesting emails about uh, well, mediums. Yeah, and did you investigate that? I, I did, and I, haven't, I have not tracked this one hands down yet. But we do, thanks to one of our listeners, have a great update coming on the whole nine yards. But really, we should get going with the show first. I'm with you, hands down. Uh, hands down. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, before we get going with the show, though, we should open the wine. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because... In our last show, yes, as we typically do, you always bring the expensive wine, uh-huh. and I bring the cheap twelve dollar. I'm the king of twelve and under. All right, right? so let's see. And I felt so bad that I brought yet another cheap wine, <laughs> <laughs> but I have a theory. Okay, it's I'm listening. A, I, didn't, I didn't bring I'm a cheap wine just for cheapness' sake. Okay, I have a theory. Check out that label. Okay. And you can read it to the audience. Now, that is one slick, cool-looking label, right? It is. Uh, first of all, it has three parts to it and uh, a complex die cutout to one of the parts. Uh, it is palandry. Is that how you say it? Or pal- palandry? Palandry, right. Okay, palandry. Right. Uh, and that's written with a, a very nice, long, well, I like the gold. You know, the gold we, relief is, is gorgeous. We got into designing labels, right? That's one of the things you can do when you... Uh, are, are making your own wine, and uh, I appreciate this kind of stuff. So beautifully written, beautiful long gold swooshes under the P and the L. And then there's sort of the uh, corresponding offset label at the very bottom, which says it's Palandry Wines from Western Australia. But in between, there is a gorgeous, you call it almost like a piece of jewelry. It's a gecko or lizard or exactly. some some you know maybe it's a, a hero brooch for your wife. It absolutely would. It's In really fact, cool. we well, have to take the labels off these bottles anyway to reuse them. We recycle everything. It's so a cheap wi- uh, birthday present. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so so not only slap it right did on you there. show up with wine, <laughs> but you brought my wife a piece of jewelry. But that is spectacular. Now, my point of this particular bottle... Shiraz, by the way. Yes. Which, which I have two pet peeves I have, to, okay. I have to get off my chest. 2001 now. Harvest. Yes. But the point of this particular bottle is, if you're not sure what bottle of wine to buy... Right. ...in a certain price range... Okay. 
go for the best looking label. <laughs> right, okay. I've got a theory I, about I this. I like your and theory. I'll see it because I have not had this wine before, but I bought this purely because the label was so what? gorgeous. You figure if they put that much work into the label, and yeah. the, even the back label is interesting. It's not, again, it's got the diagonals, but look at they didn't, they have a diagonal line at the top, but then they cut it off almost like in a diamond facet at the bottom. They've got a lot of money into this label, there's no doubt about and it. it. Probably says, more than the wines. The wine's gecko, worth. I got it right. The gecko, oh, it is a gecko. Yeah, the gecko depicted, depicted on the, the, the folks at Geico probably sponsor this. That's probably why they've got the gecko on the label and spent so much money on it. Well, I love Australian wines, and that, of course, is what this is, but I've got two pet peeves I've got to get off my chest quickly. Okay. One is Shiraz. Now, it's made from Syrah grape. No, no, this is from Australia. They call Shiraz out there. But that's, now you're getting to my pet peeve. Okay. Why, I love Australians, but do they have to change the name to Shiraz when it's Syrah? Are you sure that it was us first who had Syrah? What, you're saying the Australians come up with something before us? <laughs> it's possible. Their water goes down the drain the wrong way. It does, but... Uh, well, what is it, Chabernet? I mean... <laughs> we're going to have to research that one. I mean, what's next? I, you know? Well, I wouldn't oh, automatically... I wouldn't... I would not automatically assume... Well, maybe that we'll get a call about Syrah, it. Okay, but now how much did you spend on that bottle of wine? Just this, share that with us. This listeners. was $10. <laughs> Another $10 bottle. $10. You, you took a step backwards. But okay. look at the label. All right, now listeners, I want you to... Just decide whether you want to hang out with the passionate one and his $10 bottle, or let me tell you a little bit about oh, mine. Oh, God, don't tell me you spent more than me again. All right, and by the way, we're doing this show on a speakerphone, so let's try not to pound the table. It'll, you know, make a bunch of clumping noise well, on I the recording. Passionate. Yeah, you're passionate. Now, this is the uh, Grand Corona, and I'm not even sure if I can pronounce all that, but uh, it looks like the Malap... How do they say ends in Spanish? N is not an N sound in Spanish. Yes, it is. No. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll check that you one out for knucklehead. next show. Okay. If it is, then it's ma, ma la plana. Mania. Mania la plana? No. Ma la plana. Ma la plana estate. But let me read this to you. This is, first of all, this is a 1989. I have picked up a 1989 Cabernet Grand Reserva which I think means Grand Reserve in Spanish. Oh, you're going out on a limb there. <laughs> I took a lot of this. Uh, so 1989, the very best Cabernet, exclusively from the single vineyard of Mala Plana, except I think an N is a Y, so Playa? I don't know. We'll see. We'll check that an one out. N is not, what harvested on September 19th. Now, do you know what date yours was harvested on? Mine was harvested September 19th of 1989, and... Tasting notes from 96. So this is seven years later. Intense ruby color with a touch of mahogany. Dense, gorgeous bouquet with rich, sensual hints of small berries on a background of truffles and damp woodland. On the palate, the wine is balanced and expressive with excellent tannins and elegant hints of toasted coffee and tobacco. The aftertaste is long and voluptuous. Now, do you want to drink my wine or your wine? Well, wait, let me read you my <laughs> Okay, you read your notes. Yes. Goes great with nachos. <laughs> yeah, I bet it or a 
according to your Spanish hot shows. <laughs> hot shows. When did you when what, what, did you take Spanish? Are you uh, no, I me took with this? French. You're a very the, the, intelligent man, and you're killing me with this Spanish. I'm well. You're gonna you're gonna be sorry when you listen to the show next week and have to reflect back on this. I can read that whole label in Spanish. All right, I uh, challenge you. I'm it's, gonna it's, challenge. It's it's grand. It's it's not in its mas, not ma. Okay, so this is ma. The French don't say the s's. But okay, Moss. Okay, yeah, no Moss. You know this. No Moss. Little, no Moss. I'm with you. Right. This is a little pol- politically insensitive here, especially when we're dealing with the, <laughs> the Mexican border. You're right. All the, prob- the Spanish language out the right. What can I say? Out the wazoo. There's another idiom we can look up. <laughs> out the wazoo. My label just says <laughs> <laughs> you don't need a glass. We can Good. go back with those Drink it from red the plastic <laughs> riddles that we had last week. All right, now. Yeah, but my label but, blows but yours away. Here's now, before people say they want to hang out with me or you, now, the last piece, the coup de gras on this one. This bottle normally goes for $75. Holy moron. I was at the state store. Of course, the state in Pennsylvania controls all alcohol sales, especially wine and hard liquor. Ka-ching, ka-ching. And this was a chairman's special selection. I paid $19.99 for a $19.89 bottle of Cabernet that has all those wonderful things. But being 89 I think we better open this and drink it Probably pretty drink darn it quickly quick. based right. on what we learned last time. I agree with all you. All right, so you're in charge I'm of opening for, that. I'm all for drinking quickly. Don't. I'm <laughs> <laughs> for that, too. Before our parents catch us. Now, don't bang on the table I'll too much try. while we're... I'm passionate when I'm opening wine. Yeah, we should probably say a little bit about the technology we're using here because we've we've taken a step forward and a step backward at the same time. That that cork came out. It sounded really nice. It's all sounded intact. Great. Looks uh, like it's stuck sounded together great. pretty well. Oops, I hope that comes out of the carpet. <laughs> Don't. We've moved upstairs, by the way. We're not recording in the wine cellar today. We are... Yes, please. These are real, real glasses this time. Listen to that. We've moved upstairs to the top level of the house. We are literally on the sixth level instead of the first level. Ooh, that is black and inky. Look at that. It's like night, even with the light behind it. I think this is going to be delicious. It's, it's noche, by the way. It's like noche. That's Spanish for night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, noche. Buenos noches. <laughs> Something like that. No, Good night. No, All right. Good. That for a gringo. <laughs> so we are using new technology from talk you to actually record this, and we're doing it on our telephone. Now we've gone low-tech with a, just a garden variety speakerphone, so we're probably not getting the same kind of audio fidelity that we probably had last not. show. Probably not. But I've ordered, you know, this is what burns me up. We have all these nice microphones from the other shows. We have headsets. We have nice pickup mics that we hung from the ceiling. All of those have a different size adapter than the kind of, of, of of headset that connects to a cell phone. Uh-huh. So you can't use any of that technology that would work with a computer or digital recorder with your darn telephone, cell phone, whatever handset. So now we've got to buy a whole different class of equipment. Right. The boys down at the lab are clever about that. They are. They're, they found yet another way to pull more money out of our pockets. <laughs> That's right. So in any case, we're using a relatively low-fidelity speakerphone so we might have taken a step down here in audio quality, but be assured, as long as our order comes in by next week, we will, ha- we will sound better. In right fact, back we- up to snuff. We'll- 
Up to snuff. Up to you snuff worked that is. one in pretty well. Okay, let's go to the Morris uh, Dictionary. Now, <laughs> I can't look these things up. You have to talk. We, we can no longer edit out the silences. Does you come before or after P? See, I feel like I'm under a lot of pressure. We're, we're really not as intelligent as we seem when we can edit things. Yeah, when we edit everything. Okay, we've got, let's see, upbeat, up and coming, up Salt River, up the creek, up to snuff. <laughs> It's Look actually in there. Morris comes through. Originally, oh, wait a second. Originally, the expression up to snuff meant sharp, keen, wise, and all-knowing. Presumably, it got this meaning be, because the person who has just sniffed some snuff uh-huh. would have a brief sense of exhilaration uh-huh. and might feel that he was a lot brighter than other people. A drug-induced state. (laughs) Do you feel that way, passionate one? (laughs) Gradually, the term came to be applied more and more to a person's physical conditions. If you feel very Mm. up-to-snuff nowadays, you feel you're in good shape, in normal, good health. But now that's interesting. It was from sniffing snuff. Right, so... No, snuff snuff you don't sniff. No, it's um, uh, tobacco, tobacco. right? Um, You put it between your cheek and gum. Right. And it's funny how it evolved from the drug-induced high of a very self-destructive behavior to something that was healthy. I mean, like almost the opposite. This Morris Dictionary is going to come in, I can see, I very handy. Very handy. As you could tell, since this was a live show, that was completely on the fly. So here we are, <laughs> live against Don't Ask on the Phone. <laughs> no, come on, we'll never get to the... We've got to drink some wine and we've got to get to the darn show. We're up against American Idol. But if you want to dial into our show, you can... How do we do it? Well, this is sort of hard to do right now because the TalkShoe website is still protected. It's in a secret beta. So if you want to be able to dial us, Send us email at cellardwellers at talkshoe.com, and we will send you back instructions how to get into the secret beta. But what you'll be able to do as a result is to call in, talk to us live, ask any questions, listen to the show, and you'll have a nice chat window so you can send us questions even if you don't want to ask us questions. And in fact... Very good. Maybe you can send us some pointers so we sound sort of smarter on the air. <laughs> that would be handy, wouldn't it? Quick. Hurry, <laughs> hurry up. Speaking of email. Speaking of email, we received some email. We did. We, we received some week. email from an admirer. Now, I'm not saying an admirer. I'm saying... An, A-N-N. An emailer, A-N-N. Or A-N-N-E. Admirer. Not is that how you would spell it? Now I'm all confused with the like. Is that? I, that's Let a, me tell you something, okay. numbers guy. Yeah. The passionate one does not spell. <laughs> the passionate one doesn't it's spell. It's beneath me. I didn't bring our speak and spell dictionary to the show. It's. Uh, oh, that thing didn't know anything anyway. All right. Well, the. Uh, so the Anne admirer wanted to give us some tips on the origination or the origin, if you prefer that, of the whole nine yards. Yet another version. Right. So, and in fact, I found this to be a rather um, interesting, she, she says, I think I found the website the numbers guy was reading about, cock and bull idiom. That site is pretty weak compared to this one. <laughs> so first of all, she's insulting Slam! my idiom site. 
she has gone to something called Y-A-E-L-F. Yalf.com. I'll buy it. Go figure. And uh, by the way, she complimented you, in a sense, on your question when you finally came up with it at the end of the show. How are yeast isolated and cultivated? Yes. And by the way, just to go off on a tangent, we will get back to her input on the whole nine yards. But this got me thinking. How are yeast isolated and cultivated? So I went to Google. I typed in yeast cultivation and came up with this site, shroomery.org. Sounds wow, like an I authoritative... I came up empty-handed. You, you found it. Wonderful. And the very first item here, the cultivation tutorial for yeast, a very interesting and well-made yeast cultivation tutorial. And, uh, in fact, it is on alsand.com. So we'll jump there in a minute, but this I got, I got looking down here. We had another person who responded to this particular uh, site saying, nice piece of info, but then there was this one. The greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge, mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking. And that got me a little worried about how much do we really know about wine? Are we, are we doing our listeners a disservice with the information we're sharing? Stephen might have hit the nail on the head here. <laughs> I think he might have. So, you know, let's just put the disclaimer out there right now. If you're listening to the show, we may or may not be presenting information of any value whatsoever. Of course, much of what we do is alcohol-induced. <laughs> now, I went on over to the alsan.com, and I got only this far, the very first line. If you consider that for each starter, you need at least one or two liters of sterile wort, I'm sure you will agree that having a good supply of sterile wort ready for use is of paramount importance. That is the beginning and the end of the research I got done on where yeast comes from. I just was flabbergasted. So we're going to have to leave. I can see you're utterly speechless. I am, but I, I, there, I have. I, you didn't let me get to my second peeve. Well, oh, and, I'm and, then, sorry. and then I just saw a third. That was peeve probably here. and probably your fourth peeve as I cut you off at your second peeve. What I'm, I'm peeving out the wazoo tonight. <laughs> of uh, uh, having sterile wort ready for use is of paramount importance. I hear that all the time. Paramount. That is, that is actually grammatically incorrect. It should just be is paramount. Is paramount. Because par- paramount means of greatest importance. I so it would be like saying of greatest importance, importance. Do you want to mean numbers guy, guy? It's, right. <laughs> it's like saying you are totally unique. I mean, unique means one of. There's nothing like. Right? So you don't modify unique. You don't modify paramount. We, we can do a whole show on grammar. I think we are in agreement on that. So, so canning wort. Yeah, the bottom line is I, I pretty much hit the wall there, and we're just going to have to come back to Anne and our many other curious listeners about where does yeast come from once we make it through the 14-step program. All right. We, we'll, we'll guarantee that. We'll, we'll guarantee we'll find that. It. We'll find it, Anne. So I close those uh, websites, and let's get back to the origin of the whole nine yards, because I thought this was very interesting. And again, is proving that illusion of knowledge thing that Stephen was talking about. Which we've become good at. It is asserted that the standard capacity of cement mixers, does this sound familiar? This is sounds, nine cubic yards. This sounds like you. And that a full load would be the whole nine yards. However, according to Ann's website, there is no standard capacity for cement mixers. Current models 
vary between 7 and 10 cubic yards, but in the 60s when the phrase was first used, they also carried 4 cubic yards or maybe 6 if they were extremely large. Hmm. So that seems to rule out the whole 9 yards. Yeah, it's been along, around longer than the 60s. Well, I, I agree, but phrase. the point is that cement trucks were probably even smaller before the before 60s. Before that, so that doesn't, that doesn't hold water. Right, so you want to look that up. <laughs> Here, you check out the right. origination of doesn't hold water. I don't know where that could be under doesn't hold or water. You've got to pick your letter. It is also asserted that various articles of clothing, such as a man's custom-made three-piece suit or a formal bridal veil or train, as in colonial times, would use nine square yards of material. Mm. Okay, well, it turns out that Somebody did the math here, and a man's custom-made suit uses the only four to five square yards of material, I guess, unless you're very inefficient. <laughs> I have a few patients that um, the whole 12 yards. Oh, you know, but people weren't as heavy back then, so uh, we ruled that one out. It is also asserted that yard is maybe not a length, but the long spars of sail, or to which a sail is affixed on a ship, and if you put out nine of these yards, the ship was going as fast as possible, but that one crashes and burns too. There was a theory about nine yards as the customary length of burial shrouds, but no dice. A more recent assertion, now listen up and stop looking for a minute, is that 27 feet was the standard length of, now this is going to sound familiar, a machine gun belt and firing mm. off the entire round with shooting the whole nine yards. Sensible, military often is a source for expressions of these types. Wait, how long was the belt? 27 feet, which is nine yards. Yes. Right, three feet to a yard. Right. But it turns out that most machine gun belts were less than 27 feet, and unfortunately, this phrase is not found anywhere specifically associated with the military until very recently. So I think it's just... More idle speculation. And in fact, I read on and on, and every good theory for the whole nine yards pretty much was blown up by Ann's website. Ann, wow. Perfect. Yeah, so... Ann Hawking correct. I think that's... Uh, so, that's, so to date, we're still We're looking unsure. for an answer to the whole nine yards. Hmm. Now, did you find... Uh, were you looking I, for a drop I, in the bucket? What were you looking for? I uh, can't hold water. Can't hold... <laughs> Yeah, I bet you can't hold water. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'll be back in about three minutes. I bet you um, will. Can't hold a candle to, can't see the fort. No, can't find it. Can't find it. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll investigate. All right, well, that's some of the unfinished business from last show. Let's talk a little bit more about fermentation, because I think we, in the rush to finish the show, gave it a little short shrift. Or was it shift? <laughs> Is it Spanish or English? <laughs> I'm not sure. So uh, we, we need to really emphasize the importance of this infa infamous book, the, the notebook, the wine notebook. The notebook of Woodbine Estates. So just kept under lock and key. To give a sense of it, we record things like the crushing date, the yeast that we add, the bricks or percentage of sugar at crushing, what was the peak brick, because it actually does seem to rise a little bit at first, the uh, gross volume of our container, typically we're working with 40-gallon containers, the uh, sulfites at the time that we crushed, the amount of potassium metabisulfite we add, 
the resulting sulfites, and it turns out often that you pick a target sulfite level, add your potassium metabisulfite, and it doesn't seem to come all the way up, and it's fine to undershoot. You don't want to overshoot. Well, that's right. Overshooting very bad. And so you might make a couple of runs at your target level of potassium metabisulfite. You're trying to get maybe, we aim for 50 parts per million typically. Right. And then the total acidity, the pH, uh, how much tartaric acid we added. And, uh, you know, so you start with that. And then twice a day, we would record the temperature because, of course, the yeast is starting to burn through this stuff. So we're doing this as we do the punch down twice a day, right? You're pushing that cap or all those good skins into the uh, must, into the juice. Correct. So we're recording the temperature, making sure it doesn't go too high. And here you can see on this, with this Osmanhausen, one of the interesting characteristics is it did not go uh, great guns. Normally our, our yeast, the RC212, the creatively named RC212, it would be done in seven days. This one took, as you can see here, really about 10 days, and we had to add heaters to it at the end because it got up to about 75 and then started to peter out, right, and we were worried that it was a little uh, too close. And then we even record things like when we put the heaters on, when we pressed, when we racked, and it's amazing how quickly you forget all of this stuff, but it's very handy the next year. And one of the things we do is we like to graph the performance of one yeast one, uh, in a new year against a similar yeast of a previous year to see if everything's working out or did we not have enough yeast or not enough heat or too much sulfite. And so all of this becomes part of the learning experience to make a really good wine. And this, this brings up a point. Keeping a notebook is one of the <laughs> legitimate pieces of adv good advice we can give because you really do forget. You forget how long, you forget what temperatures, what certain yeast did. You, you think you're going to remember all the info and you don't and the numbers guy has been dead on with that notebook. Well, it has really served us well. I'm not too passionate about the color of the notebook, but that's ah, a beautiful blue. It works. What do you think of our this is, Gran Corona? This is delicious. For, for 19.99, this, this is, is delicious. I would say, unbelievable. I think we've scored. It just goes to show, if you put in a little bit of effort, you can find some amazing things. I mean, who would think? See, I wouldn't have bought this one. Why? It's an ugly label. <laughs> well, but if if you noticed that it was 1989, I might have bought it because of the date. 1989 for $20. I challenge anybody anywhere in the country to find a bottle whatever from earlier than 1990 or Mad less than 2020, you're not going to get for I don't think it can be done. So we lucked into an you, incredible bargain. My hat's off to you. I like it. All right. My wife has decided to contribute a little bit to the show here. Let's just summarize that fermentation notebook by saying it's a critical part of the process. You do the punch down, you write it all down, and you come to pressing. And we're going to describe all about pressing, how our wine press works. I think some people mix up crushing and pressing. They do. Folks who have not actually made wine get those two confused. Well, I, I did too before we started. But yeah, the crushing... I mean, knew the process. Right. We studied it and have been doing it. If you've listened this far into the podcast, you know that that the crushing is when you break the skin of the grape and not the seed so that you can liberate the juice and start the, the whole process, whereas pressing is where 
you have a fully fermented product, all done. It's it still wine. amazes it's me wine. that it in finishes a in a week, right? So you don't drink it for like three years, but it's 14% alcohol in one week. And my hat's off to the first folks that were somehow able to wait three years before drinking it because you've got to think in the early days of winemaking, oh, they they're making stuff and drinking it because you don't know if the Huns are coming over the hill tomorrow night. Right, well, it didn't keep. Throwing right? spears at you. You make wine and it'd be bad in a week. Yeah. So the first people who made wine, the grapes came in, you harvested, you made your wine, and it was pretty much, I bet it was all gone in a few weeks. If I were around, it would be. <laughs> well, that's uh, probably quite true. These days, of course, if you make it in volume, you can only drink it so fast. If it's in a bottle, it lasts a long time. So I think it, it probably took a while before people discovered that it got better it improves, with age, right. right? And it got better if you put it in oak as opposed right. to And that's all they had to store it. Or, and, hey, Lou, we've got a little too much extra wine. What do you want to do with it? Right. Put but in a barrel over there. In any case, the, the pressing is where you put it into the wine press, fully fermented, and you separate the wine from the skins and seeds. Correct. We'll talk about that because that's, that is absolutely my favorite step. Next to drinking, our favorite step of the 14th. All right. My wife says, Rich, you and Dave must read this. Here's to the other guy. Now, she got this out of the paper, the People's Pundit. I haven't read it, so I don't know what this says. You haven't read it. You don't know what it says. Can you read that? Do you have enough light? I almost do. <laughs> okay. How about I'll move this light over here and we'll see if we can... Make that on the air. Well, this is another guy, not the other guy. Oh, not the other guy? No, it's another guy. Oh. All right. What's it say? Often, often imitated. You know, I get this kind of thing all the time. <laughs> I bet you do. You know, Everyone's trying to trade on your good reputation. I can't, go, I can't go to the gas station without autographs. All right. Know. Now, do you feel like you're being interrogated with this bright light <laughs> up there? I could read it, by the way, if you can. I've got my glasses. I'm, you're not proud. I do. do you, want to, you don't want to read this whole article. Well, she said read it. No, it's too long. Look. All right. We won't there's, read there's it. There's a lot of words there. <laughs> the passionate one doesn't want to read the words. <laughs> there's words all over Okay, this we'll read it later. If it's, if it's really good. But it's good, another guy, but, not the other oh, guy. Oh, it's not? Okay. It's, it's, it's close. Another guy. Fine. Oh, this happens to me all the time. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> If it, if it turns out to be a really good story, we will produce a synopsis and bring it back for the next we episode. Put it on the, post it on the website. All right. But it's another imitator. It's not the true the other guy. Now, I got to thinking about this whole winemaking process. Yeah, we better keep this stuff pouring because it, it, uh, I bet it won't last for very long. That looks yeah, delicious. I don't know. I don't you think know that one's going to hold up? Still enough tannins? Maybe not. Are you not, not a the... lot of backbone to it, but um, this is this is quite good. Um, it is delicious. So we're so we're pressing. You know the main disadvantage of doing a live show, we don't have as much time to drink. We got. <laughs> That's why I've got two straws in my glass. <laughs> well, I noticed that you're making me do all the talking, and you're sitting there over quietly draining. I'm ready to open. I'm ready to open the cheap bottle. You know, I didn't really appreciate the value of the digital recorder and the pause button, all that kind of stuff. But it will be fun to be able to interact live with, with listeners and take questions. And So this is the beginning of some beautiful new version or evolution of the cellar dwellers. I got to thinking, though, about the fact that we are allowed to make 200 gallons, right? If per you go person. Over, right, per person. Per person. In Pennsylvania. NPA. And I, I was wondering, where did that come from? 
Why 200 gallons? So here's what I found. I did a little research, mm. and it turns out that it relates to prohibition itself. Okay. So we can, we can thank the prohibitionists. In 1880, Kansas became the first entirely dry state, and shortly thereafter, I didn't really know that individual states had gone totally alcohol-free. I never knew that. That's uh, what happened. So I knew counties and towns. And oh, sure, that happened going way, way back. But Kansas in 1880 became entirely dry. And then Iowa, Georgia, Oklahoma, Mississippi, North Carolina, Tennessee, West Virginia, and Virginia. The, the laws allowed winemaking to continue for sale elsewhere. In other words, even though your state was dry, they didn't want to explicitly drive the wineries out of business. And so they said, you know, even though you can't sell it in this state, you can sell you can it, produce it, produce sell it, it and ship states. it. Well, of course, you know, that didn't really work. It uh, was long before Napa Valley and any kind of brand on any kind of places wine. So pretty much the wineries in the states that went dry went dark. Thank you, government. Right. Again. So, you know, in classic sort of overreaction, the, the dries, as they were called, went so far as to expunge any mention of wine from school or college texts, including the Greek and Roman literature. Now, I mean, it's all over the Bible. I was going to say, gonna... Jesus' first miracle was wine. Would they change it to Swiss cheese? <laughs> I don't really know. Put water into Swiss cheese. That's Here, it. have a piece. They even tried That's to insane. prove. No, they even tried to prove that praises for wine in the Bible were actually referring to unfermented grape juice. Unbelievable! They're killing me. Without the, yeah, oh, it's 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 really wild. But you know, it's probably a lesson for today with some of the controls that are being placed upon ourselves for homeland security. Something to think about. But in any case, 33 states. This is all about how we got to 200 gallons. So don't lose sight of the reason I'm telling this story. I'm trying to stay with you. 33 states had gone dry at the outbreak of World War I. So at that point, that's a pretty big trend. 31 in World War I, how many were there? I'm not sure. I know Alaska and Hawaii didn't come along until 1960. 59 or 60, right. so it was a lot, so probably a lot less than that. Right. Most of the states, and of course, what do you, you need like three quarters of the states to approve an amendment to the Constitution, so it's probably getting close to that. That's right. Right? I think I got that right. So, in any case, the um, wartime prohibition was enacted in 1919, and then the Volstead National Prohibition Act and the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Con Constitution in 1920. No manufacture, no sale, no transportation of intoxicating liquors. But here's where the 200 gallons came from. There was a loophole allowing each home to make 200 gallons of non-intoxicating cider and fruit juice per year. Right? That was back in, you know, 20%. Non-intoxicating. Right. 20% of the population lives on, you know, farms at this time. So you could crush up whatever you're growing. Well, apple juice. juice, right? You got apples, you got to make juice. But only of, 200 gallons. Right, 200 gallons. And maybe that was, you know, sort of what you could keep around the place. You could probably, you know, crush Yeah, but that stuff's going to turn into, start fermenting within, well, like days, weeks. I didn't know that, officer. This was last time I checked. This was apple juice, I swear. So thousands of otherwise law-abiding <laughs> citizens inadvertently became winemakers and bootleggers using this 200-gallon non-intoxicating limit. So that's the number. That's, that's where it came from. Now, prices for fresh grapes shot up. <laughs> Imagine that. Oh, oh, oh. And, Free market. 
there became a shortage of refrigerated rail cars. <laughs> I wonder if anyone at the time could see what was going on or whether there were only certain people that, uh, that knew what was happening. And green bottles and corks were in short supply. So here we are in prohibition. Planting of acreage for grapes nearly doubled from 1919 to 1926. We've got to have our grape juice. <laughs> 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 right. If we can't drink alcohol, at least we can have some fresh grape juice. And, uh, you know, by 1925, the railroads had finally bought enough cars, and, you know, <laughs> there was fruit everywhere and eventually rotting on the docks, and that probably made yet more wine. So, so there's where the... 200 pound or 200 gallons came from, and I just think a hilarious story. That is a, that's a wonderful story, and it shows you how hip the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania is <laughs> maintaining this. Right. We're still living 85 years later. 200 gallon limit. We don't limit. want to get beyond that. There was the national repeal, just to complete the prohibition story, on December 5th, 1933, and I've never really celebrated December 5th. You know, December, Why don't we? Well, right, exactly. December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, right. you know, maybe we do something. But from now on, December 5th, let's celebrate it. Hey, it's December 5th uh, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, fascinating stuff. That's I must a great say. story. Good job, man. No, no idea. All these historical things about alcohol we didn't know. Okay, so. so, so two, but 200 gallons, in all fairness, for home winemaking. It's a pretty fair amount for one person to do it. That's a thousand bottles a that's year. That's a good bit of hooch. Right, a thousand yes. bottles of 750 right. milliliter, you know, standard size wine bottle. Right, that's 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 pretty reasonable. Right, You've so that means be... you and your family can be, you know, chugging basically three bottles of wine a night. So, uh, well, twenty-seven uh, bottles for me. <laughs> right, it wasn't supposed to be uh, fermented. For I see a, a, a listener named Wolf showed up, and we were so busy yakking that we never even noticed. Wolf, we're sorry. Here, I'm going to say hello. Hi, Wolf. Uh, apologies for not being paying attention to our chat window here. Uh, boy, do we... Uh... Yeah, okay. Is well, Wolf just... an acronym for the LCB? <laughs> <laughs> so, Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> wolf, Wolf. I smell uh, more than 200 gallons man, from these boys. I don't know where Wolf went. I think he's there someplace, but... Uh, Oh, we'll figure it out. We'll get a lot smoother at managing this whole live thing, hopefully, someday, after we do this for it a year. It can only go one way. It <laughs> can only get better. Okay, we're supposed to be talking about pressing. Now, have you noticed this contraption that I've got on the top of our table here? Which, by the way, yeah? I want to interrupt. Right, now, you talk a while so I can drink. You, you're like this on your starting to crash. Is it really? It is. So the theory about your old wines your and going downhill. Yes. That's why you've got to consider the, the great Grand Cruz, the great first growth Bordeaux, that can be around for 100 years and not crash within 20 minutes of opening or in some incredible wines. Yeah, incredible I, would, backbone. I would totally agree with that. Well, I see a very heavy cast metal mm -hmm. device here. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming we're going to get to the... Uh, I'm assuming we are. Someone's pressing somewhere. Yeah, that's... Um, well, let's, let's talk a little bit about pressing. What, describe our wine press, if you would, for our listeners. Well, if you would picture a wood, slat, round container. Right. 
about, well, the, they come in various sizes. Yeah. Ours is not the smallest, right? We're sort of one size up from the smallest. Person. Oh, no, I think we're several sizes up from the smallest. Uh, ours is a uh, 35 or 40-pound press. You oh. can buy these little teeny baby, like, three or five-pound presses. And it has, it is on metal legs. It has a pan in the bottom. And basically, the slats form sides. And up through the center is the, the, the large cast iron screw. It's a screw. That's it's the best screw. way to I mean, describe it. I mean, people have seen these things. It's and like on a one-inch one diameter yeah, oh yeah, it's screw, a or maybe call it a bolt. But it's huge. It's a good three feet long. Right. And on top, and through that screw, you insert this device, which is basically a ratchet system with a lever that enables you to crank down through the wood slatted container. All right, but you're getting ahead of the story. The you don't got to crank it down while it's empty. So let's let's describe. Well, well, you you wanted me to describe it. <laughs> I'm describing. All right, I'll get back to drinking. You keep describing. <laughs> Drink because you're. What are you cranking on? <laughs> uh, sometimes I just go down and crank it. I don't have anything better to do. But of course, you're going to place your wine, your juice, and your skins in this container. Now, of course, you also need to put some sort of Nylon mesh screening. Right. Now, that's a, a big, important tip. Because otherwise, you're going to have a lot of skins coming through. Right. You want to try to keep out as much of the skins at this point as possible. Right. And I think for years and years, people actually, you know, they just put the grapes right into the oh, sure. cylinder with these vertical pieces of wood. Sure. But... The problem is, as the passionate one, can I tell you what I'm really worried about? I usually refer to you by name, and we're doing a live show, and I don't want to blow it and let the cat out of the bag. I really do not. <laughs> what? You, you already did. I did? When? You did. No! You did. <laughs> oh! But, but, we'll, but hopefully no one was paying attention. This technology doesn't have rewind, does it? <laughs> God, I hope not. See, I knew I was going to have trouble with that. I can always edit that stuff out later. <laughs> you know, I slip once or twice every show. Well, um, passionate one. Hopefully, our, our we'll, we'll bring our listeners into our circle of trust. <laughs> they are now... Are you asking them to voluntarily <laughs> bleep out? No, just don't go repeating it. You know, the, the local newspaper is searching for the identity they of the are. other guy, the passionate one. So, listeners, you are part of the circle of trust. Very important. There you go. All right, so back to the wine press. If you just pour all the grapes into there, I mean, even before you start pressing, you probably have them, like, are leaking they coming out, out those through flats. the wooden slats. Because they're not, they're not, it's not meant to be perfectly juice-proof and watertight. I mean, it's, right. it's um, you know... So I'm sure in the old days, they had to do a lot more racking. and That's exactly right. So you've got all these skins that get into the barrels, and then there's a lot more, as you say, racking and cleaning and so on. But what we do, and what many modern home winemakers do, and I'm sure that the commercial wineries have this thing nailed, we take a fiberglass screen, and we buy the four-foot wide screen, because you need a pretty good piece, and we cut a four-foot-by-four-foot four piece, and we lay it into the wine press in such a way that we can fill it up, and the screen goes all the way around the edges and around that center screw. 
Right. It's a little tricky to do, but after you do it a few times, you figure out how the, how the technique on how to do it. Yeah, probably the best thing to do is look in the book, uh, the, the book that we referenced on uh, making table wine, the one that we have the pointer on our uh, website from UC, from for, UC from UC Davis. Right. That has a nice picture in it, and you can download the PDF very yeah. easily. It yeah. shows you how to put the screen in. But the advantage then with that screen is that you're not going to get very many grape skins that escape your wine press. The other uh, key point I would make about using the screen is wash the thing really well because it it seems to ship with some kind of, I don't know, it almost seems soapy and you wouldn't want to pick up any kind of soapy or oily flavor from the screen. So put it in a sink and wash the heck out of it crunch it all around. You could probably... Get the dead flies out of it. Remember that first year? <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. You could probably even put it in the wash machine and, and wash it that way, I bet. Give it a good rinse. I don't see why not. So that's a, that's a, a key to using the wine press. So I hope our listeners are visualizing a wine press. I think most folks have seen that. And of course, the bottom is a pan with a little spout on one end, and you need a pretty large stainless steel bowl to catch... Our favorite part. Well, this is where I was saying you're getting ahead of yourself when you started cranking the ratchet, because that's not where you want to start. You don't. And by the way, if you only have one stainless steel pan, you're going to be in trouble, because you really need... Buy two quick. Buy two, right, exactly. You're going to be running out to the store at exactly the wrong time. So you had want a heck of a time drinking it that fast. <laughs> we only well, have one pan. that's why I like this process. We will talk about the drinking, because, again, as we said, you are at 14% alcohol. It's fully fermented. And even though it has a little bit of juice flavor still, fruity, and it doesn't have the, uh, the, the, the oak in it yet, so it doesn't have some of the classic flavorings that wine get, it's still darn good. It's darn good. I was really impressed. But, okay, so you were just getting to the key point. When you put all these grapes into your press to start with, don't start cranking. Don't crank. Because you want the three... Run. The free run. And, uh, again, you mentioned last show that Ed Segicio told us quite a bit about He only uses the free run. He sells all the actual pressed juice to other people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's what he said. We separate the free run from the press. Now, we should bring up a little editor's note here. Okay, editor's note. That while we're describing the old world style crank, and really, basically, it hasn't changed for probably couple hundred years. The big boys in the big wineries use a press called a bladder press. Okay. Which is totally different. It's picture more of a of a long cylinder, maybe eight feet long and four feet in diameter, three or four feet in diameter. And there is a bladder in the center of this that they fill this container up, the cylinder up, with their juice and, and grapes after fermentation, and then they pump compressed air into the bladder in the center of this, and it pushes outwards in all directions and presses the grapes, the skins, against the inside of the, of the tank. And, of course, it has a way of draining out into their, um, start their, their uh, placing the wine into their barrels or whatever hmm. they're doing with it. You know, i got to imagine one of the advantages of that bladder press is that part of the trick that we always have to be careful of with our manual press and ratchet and crank. You can put a lot of pressure on this. You do not, under any circumstances, want to break the seeds. Yes, and I think the first year, 
as as another editor's note here, I think we overpressed a little. Do you really? Bit. I think we so. Did you you taste a little bit of that like excess tannin uh, and bitterness yes, maybe in the yes, zin. Yes, and that's easy to do because we were overzealous. Yeah, we get every yeah, drop we're trying to get every drop. And right, and don't 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 do that, or at least separate. Right, separate your couple free bo- the last couple the bottles aside. Right, right. right. Oh, I give like it the to the, Give it to your employees. <laughs> <laughs> the ones you're going to can next week. Your friends that uh, you don't plan to hang out with too long. Hey, I got to tell you about this talk show technology. Look at this. We had Wolf show up. Yes. He is still there. He's, he's uh, probably doing something else. Annie. That sounds Annie, like our friend. Annie came in there. Yeah, she, she was there briefly, but she disappeared. And Aaron was with us for a little while, but disappeared. I guess we should, we should, yeah. We better, so yeah, we better pay more attention. <laughs> pay attention to, got, to our we're loyal. We're going to pay dollars in the We're not paying attention to it. I mean, it makes it way oh, easier so because we don't have to do all that complicated stuff with XML and digital recording and so on. Yeah, Wolf is there. He's, he's Wolf there. Wolf is back. Yeah, I just said hi to Wolf uh, using our little chat engine. Now, we're alone on the bridge. Everybody's watching American Idol, but at least they can chat with us while we do the show. I think that is so cool. Very so cool. cool. So, free run. Free run really is just what drips out when you start filling the It's the actual press. wine, the juice that's going to come through right, without the skins. Well, and it's the part that comes out without having pressed it yet with our ratchet system. Right. So, you want to separate that. Now, do you have a theory as to why that's better than the pressed wine? Well, I think you have a risk of risk. Okay, but let's say you do it perfectly. Ed Segisio could certainly do pressing perfectly, yet he still sold that stuff to other people. I don't have a clue. Well, my theory is. Oh, uh, somehow (laughs) (laughs) Somehow brilliant. (laughs) My theory is that the um, it does relate to what you're going to, even if you press perfectly. There are some seeds that didn't get themselves arranged quite right. They are going to get crushed. And the flavors that might come out right from the edges of the skins as you're squeezing everything out and all those skins are crushing up against each other. Yeah, I think you could still extract more tannins even at this stage of the game. Absolutely. And actually, sometimes tannins would be good. And so we kept our pressed wine separate from our free run but had it to blend afterwards to make exactly the right combination as we judged it. So I think it just gives you more flexibility and the possibility of having a premium product from, you know, the same batch of grapes. So numbers guy, this is a good point to inter- time to interject that for our home winemakers to as accurately as we can calculate how much wine you're going to be producing and how you're going to be storing this over the next year or so. So that you have, if you have a 30-gallon barrel and you want to do some of this separate um, aging with pressed and free run, that you have carboys, you have a way of storing the, the, the different, um, the free run from the pressed stuff, uh, the, maybe the different yeast that you used. So try to, try to calculate that out uh-huh. a little bit in advance because it, otherwise you end up, the it's night you're pressing, you're pressing, boy, and you've got to get it going, and, man, it's easy to sort of get everything muddled up and you didn't well, know what you wanted. You don't want to leave any of your wine exposed to oxygen. And, in fact, this year we had one bit of our wine, a couple of gallons, where I didn't have the right size containers to put it into, 
after so pressing. There's a little air in there, yeah. And I pump some nitrogen in there, which is a good way to, you know, nitrogen is heavier than, than air, heavier than oxygen, so it will sit across the, the top of the wine as long as the, the container is sealed and protected a little bit. It's still oxidized, and it has that, that flavor that port gets. And I love port, mind you, but I don't love the flavor of port in a Cabernet. Mm-hmm. So we have about three gallons this year that's down in the basement as we speak. Now, we made well over 100 gallons, so we got a lot more, but we've got three gallons that we need to keep separate from the rest because I think it's a little oxidized. Maybe we drink it right away, or as you suggested earlier, we give it to our friends who aren't quite so close <laughs> or, or discerning, maybe. <laughs> I thought you were going to put me on the spot with some math, like how many um, bottles or gallons or whatever you get out of grapes. It is an interesting question, and I think we talked about it a little bit earlier we we in our... about purchasing, about buying right. the grapes. Roughly, though, the rule of thumb is that you're, you're going to have three pounds of grapes that make one bottle of wine, 750-milliliter bottle, and five 750-milliliter bottles is approximately one gallon. Yeah. So, therefore... 15 pounds pounds. of grapes is going to be about one gallon. And it's good when you're in this pressing phase to make sure you have lots of different containers, especially if you're trying to separate the products of different yeast, free-run versus pressed. Have some one-gallon containers, three-gallon containers, five-gallon containers, and, you know, presumably you bought enough grapes. Yeah, go ahead. Fire that one up. Is this one empty? Uh, there's a little bit more of that one, but uh, you know what? We'll leave it there, and we'll compare. Yeah, make the investment. If you're planning on doing, uh, you know, enough to have a barrel, a 30-gallon barrel, which is actually a half barrel. Right. Also have some of your five and two and one-gallon carboys and bottles ready to go. Absolutely. Wolf is asking me a question. He's saying, what's going on, Dave, as we're trying to do about 15 things at once? The other guy... Yeah, there, there was a point where I wanted to use your name. We wouldn't have been able to edit the darn thing out. The other guy is opening a bottle of wine. So I can't we're trying to tell a story. <laughs> right, we're trying to tell a story. We're trying to finish off the last of the wine that we opened from the Grand Coronas. And I'm trying to type a, um, a comment. We're in the middle of the show. Enter Wolf. So there you go. See, in our comment... Went right to the same color. What's going on, Dave Wolf said, and we responded right back to him. Very cool technology. We, uh, we should tell him to dial in and ask some questions. He although should. He doesn't have an ID yet. Oh, yes, he does. He's right there. He just hasn't called the phone. Uh, you know, he hasn't dialed our conference bridge. 724-444-7444, TalkCast ID number 18. But you have to email us at sellerdwellers at talkshoe.com in order to learn how to get your pin. And by the way, this super secret beta thing is only going until about the end of June, and then this will all be open and anybody can find it and call in and join us while we're doing the show. Thank God. Yeah, it's all sort of mysterious and hocus pocus and the FBI is probably wondering what we're up to. So, we filled up the wine press. Wait, we've got to finish these guys so that you can... One one last toast to the Grand Corona. Very good. Crashing a bit, though. Mm. You're right. It's going downhill. So we've got free run. Right. We filled up the, the press the first time. And you've got free run. You, the, the press is about 
what would you say, two and a half feet high? About two and a half two feet high. Two and a half feet high. 16 inches in diameter. That sounds about right, oh, approximately. Right. I'm not going to argue with you after I blew the length of the meter thing yeah. the other show. Don't talk measurements, <laughs> big boy. All right. You fill it up with the now fully fermented grapes and juice. A lot of stuff just free runs out. Put that in one place. Label it free run. Believe me, especially if you do a lot of sampling on this evening, the next morning when you wake up, you're going to forget what is where. Oh, I've got bottles. I don't know what the heck they are. <laughs> yeah, well, With imagine no if you blow it on a whole barrel or, you know, a carboy or whatever. So it is... Stay sober. In this <laughs> point. No, no, no. Don't stay sober. Just label everything with masking tape and a marker. That's the key. Because the whole fun of this night is a little bit of sampling here, a little bit of sampling of that. How does the free run taste compared to the press? And, in fact, my favorite, favorite part of this whole night, if you remember the is first... Is when I go home? <laughs> oh, well, that's... Okay. My second favorite part of the whole night is we're all done pressing. Remember, we're cleaning up and putting everything away, but we've left out the one last batch of grapes already pressed but sitting in the wine press. Right. And we stuck a little glass under the, the funnel, under the spout, and it was just dripping out at about one glass every five minutes. You couldn't crush it anymore, or you couldn't press it anymore. See, I just messed up the crushing versus pressing. You couldn't press it anymore because you break the seeds, but the juices still kept soaking through. So we had about one glass every five minutes that we could not let go to waste. And it's 1 a.m., and we're pretty happy because, you know, we've now got all this wine in production. That was just, I think, one of the best moments I had that whole year 2003. That's really enjoyable. In, in consecutive years that you make wine, another really great thing to do is to crack a bottle of the previous vintage to enjoy that night, have friends over to help with this process, bring a little cheese, some crackers, some bread, some food, uh, especially if you're doing it in your cellar, which we do. We're the cellar dwellers, uh, not by name only, and it's a, it's, it is truly is probably the, the best step of the 14 steps other than drinking. It absolutely is. Of course, you're going to enjoy my cheap wine, by the way. The first year is always hard because you don't have your last year's production to enjoy, but once you make it over that hump of the first year, it's fantastic. By the way, notice one of the benefits of our little talk shoe service here. It tells us we are now one hour and one minute and 33 seconds into the recording. Well, if we had sponsors, we'd be in trouble. <laughs> we would be in trouble. We would have, we would have made millions. Of of <laughs> millions. Oh, well. By the way, we're still looking for those French sponsors. <laughs> Please, anyone, if, if you're French... I'll well, try not to let the numbers guys screw that language up, too. Product. Hey, I took French. I might, I might not know diddly about... Spanish, but I took some French, so, uh, you know, so Don't know diddly. <laughs> Don't know diddly. <laughs> I, I, Does this book have D in it? <laughs> okay, you look code? up diddly, and I will keep talking about pressing, yeah. Diddly should be a quick one to find. So, pressing, now you've got your free run out. That's good. You separate that, put it off in your carboys or barrels, and label it appropriately. And now comes the fun part. We have all these wooden blocks. I brought them up here just for sound effects. What you do is you lay in, first of all, on the top of the grapes. So you filled the press up to within half an inch of the top, maybe even press down a little bit manually with your hands. Oh, our friend Kimberly says she's sorry she missed the show, was not available until now. Baby born today. Kimberly, congratulations. Let's see what she did. I didn't know to... she was pregnant. <laughs> no, it wasn't her baby. Oh. It was Kimberly, sorry, Kimberly has four boys. 
Wonderful. Not available until now. Baby born today with many, many challenges. challenges. <laughs> I'm having some challenges myself now that we're into our second bottle of wine. She is in NICU. What is that? Something intensive care? Neonatal. Intensive care unit right. at Children's Hospital right now, but will, we'll and I mean it, will be fine within the week. Talk to you soon. Next opportunity to experience talk show. Well, congratulations. Kimberly, we wish you, one of our granddaughter and grandson, granddaughter or grand, oh, it's a granddaughter. We wish your granddaughter well. That would really be a wonderful addition to the world. Kimberly is such a great person. One of our fun drinking and skiing buddies. So uh, we've got the, the wood. We've now filled up the press to within half an inch of the, half an inch of the top. And we have these large pieces of wood that are, what would you say, those are almost probably 14, 15 inches around. They fill up, they, they cover the whole top all the way out to the inner edge of the wooden flat cylinder. They, they, come, with the, they come with the press. And they're round in two pieces with the hole in the middle to go over the, um, not furrow, what would you call that large screw? It's a large screw. I love Shiraz. It's a large screw. Your Shiraz is delicious. Well, you're not the first person to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> By the way... Your Chabernet wasn't too it, bad. It, it brought to mind the term diddly. Did you find any? I didn't find diddly. No I, diddly I, in there, huh? Of course, I don't know how to read, so I'm having trouble with this book. You know, we didn't find squat at the beginning of the show, and we didn't find diddly now. That book don't got diddly. This Morris guy. So we, we lay our pieces of wood on top of the, the, the grapes now. The free run is sort of out. And the free run accounts for maybe about, what would you say, a half of the juice? I would say... Or wine, I should say, at this point. I would say um, it depends. Because as you're scooping ah. this out of your fermentation ah. bag, you're taking some of the cap yet, and after the cap's gone, you've got almost all free run. Mm-hmm. Or you can go underneath the cap and Mix pull it out all up. Free and right. So, right. So that was kind of a trick question. I saw it right through. <laughs> you sure did. Well, you reminded me that there's different grapes... You've got the, the Pinot Noir with the very thin and delicate skin, and you've got Cabernet with its big, thick, tough skin, so that probably has a lot to do with it as well. It does. But we do you, do you realize we, we skipped and forgot one added um, enhancement to pressing? It, we missed something? Like, this is new? It's we hard to believe that we missed Shocking. It's absolutely shocking. shocking. What did we miss? got the rice hulls. Oh, you're right. The rice oh, hulls. Boy, we would have left our, our listeners with the partial knowledge thing again that Stephen Hawking... The illusion. we for. <laughs> exactly, in fact. We're Speaking gonna, of black holes. We're, we're going to rename this show The Illusion of Wine Knowledge because apparently we're not doing a great job. Those physicists could study us if they want to check out black holes. You are brilliant, though. I am so glad since this is a live show and we can't edit it to insert this stuff and make ourselves sound more knowledgeable and I better later. I did it diplomatically, too. Yeah, <laughs> right. You didn't pin it on me, unlike well, Anne. Who... I'm still a little hurt about your comment of me getting ahead of myself, and I knew the rice hole thing, but I let it go. <laughs> you did that. Okay. Till now. Rice holes. I'm so glad you brought... Right. Those rice hulls, first of all, I did not know what a rice hull was. I thought pretty much rice grew on like sticks and then fell off in more or less its finished state. But I thought it grew in bags. <laughs> well, you know, we are so disconnected from the 
the, the way that our food is produced these days, yeah, we really not very society. Huh? Why don't we create a whole different talk cast on that? Let's keep this one on wine. Rice hulls are the uh, the sharp outer part of rice that I never knew existed, but apparently is more or less a waste product good for very little. But one thing it's good for, and it's good for because it's very cheap, because it's not used for really anything cheap, else. Right. We buy very bags rare. of this stuff for a dollar. It has no flavor whatsoever, but it has one characteristic. It is very pointy on the ends. Almost like a quill. It is, and the, the problem with grape skins is they're almost like you put them together and start to press them, they become almost like sheets of plastic. And the whole point here is to get the juice to flow through the stuff and out into your barrel or carboy or whatever. So the advantage of the rice hulls, while you're loading your wine press, think about building a layer cake where you put a layer of cake, a layer of frosting, a layer of cake, do this until you get a really tall cake with lots of frosting. We're doing the same thing with grape skins and, and rice hulls, mixing it in with our hands so that those hulls get mixed through the grape skins, and when you start to press, they pierce them and provide a channel for the wine to flow out. Flow through. It's the best really? $1.50 investment you will ever make. Right. Absolutely a great use for an otherwise waste product. And it makes you feel like an environmentalist, recycling and reusing as well. Look at that. I want to go hug a tree right now. That is a key point. Not the hugging tree, but the using the right <laughs> So you put all this stuff in the press, including your rice hulls, and then you put this set of wood blocks on top. That's these guys. Now, we bought a bunch more wood blocks because the, the trick is once you take this ratchet thingy, this thing weighs a ton, and it's a really interesting mechanism. It tilts one way and then the other, and it, it rocks back and forth with a big handle on it that gives you a lot of ratchet leverage. And it's got these, these pieces that just pull out of it. They're trapezoids, basically. And, and it just pins you the put them in one way. Yeah, there's, there's two uh, trapezoids. You put them in in one direction, and the ratchet goes down. And you pick them out, and you put them in the other direction. It takes exactly that long. And you do the ratchet, and it goes the other way, comes back up. It's a, you know, I'd say it's a brilliant invention, but it looks like something invented in maybe the age of iron in the year 1000 or something. It's pretty primitive. It is pretty primitive. But pretty it works basic. Great. It works great. So you don't have to spin this thing 360 No, you're not going all the way ratcheting back and, and, and in forth fact, that quickly. wouldn't work because it starts to sink down inside the cylinder. And right. so... You also need more wood blocks. Extra wood blocks. I went to Home Depot, bought some white oak, uh, I think they're balusters for a, a, a staircase, but in any case, cut them to the right length so that you can stack them on top of your two semicircles of wood that are sitting on top of the grapes so that you can keep your ratchet up above out of the cylinder. And every once in a while, you might want to back it up, stick a couple more wood blocks right. in and press down. And they, and they sort of end up looking like a little Lincoln log. Right. right. In fact, you want to alternate them where you put one pair of them one way and then the next pair perpendicular or 90 degrees to those. And so please, 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 if you're going to press that first year, get some extra blocks of wood. It doesn't have to be oak. Dave's a little crazy about that. 
Pine would be You're right. Fine. No, you're right. Pine you're right. Work. I am a little bit. That was a little bit overboard. Because if you don't have this, your crank will only be able to go down to the top of the slatted-sided uh, press, and you won't be able to press all the way down and get all of your wine out. So it's well worth the buck seventy-five to get a couple hunks of wood there. A good investment. What you do then is you crank it down. Just don't go too far. Once the juice or the wine is not really running out of the press anymore, stop. Don't go too far. Or if you feel like going really far, then uh, uh, you know put another container under it and separate that out in case you pushed it too far. Because the one thing is, you can do fine with most of your wine. You screw up a little part of it and then mix it in. You can't fix a bad wine by adding some good wine to it. That's so you right. want to keep it separate. If you think you've got some wine that's suspect, don't mix it in. Don't supplement it with good stuff to try to make it better. Just bottle it. Keep it separate. Label it well. And the next fall, when you're ready to bottle this stuff, taste all this stuff and see if you want to blend it. If it's not that great, like I said, give it to your employees that you're good advice next week. <laughs> 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 Which, by the way... Your employees, after listening to our live broadcast, you might be sending off some of this bad wine. No, I give up. You know, it's funny you bring that up because the, the thing that, that, that inspires me is that we've been able to make such good wine, and wine is such an awesome, personal, unique, totally unique, completely totally unique, unique gift. And people love getting wine. I mean, even if they don't drink wine, they seem to love getting wine as a gift. They're always so gracious, and it seems like a gift from the heart. And in a day when you run down to the Hallmark store and buy some schlock that was made in China as a gift, uh, wine is just, it, it stands out. And it does. I love people that. People love it. Even if it's crappy, they love it. Well, you know? but you know what? If it's not crappy, in fact, this and weekend... And our wine is not crappy. Let me tell you a little story. This weekend, I went on a 140-mile bike ride. I'm still a little sore uh, because I don't ride... I'm a, That's right. I'm a runner, but I don't necessarily ride. I've never... In fact, the only the one time... It is the most I've ever rode. And the only other time I rode anything close to that was the time you took me 100 miles through... Sonoma, and at least there I could ride a few miles and stop at a winery and taste, and I didn't, you know, have the score. Kept you <laughs> <laughs> Damn, no, there's another winery! Uh, right. on, another 20 Boom, miles! Boom, I had unbelievable energy, but this was just 140 miles. We were following the uh, rail trail, where they had an old railroad that was converted into a bike trail. Right. And the thing that I love about railroads or about trains is they can't go up more than a five-degree grade, so these things are incredibly level crushed, packed limestone, and we, you know, rode and rode. But here's the point of the story in a wine talk cast, right? This isn't a biking talk cast. I brought one magnum of our Cabernet Sauvignon mm -hmm. and four exotic cheeses, including a Maytag blue cheese. And we were about... Is that what you call the stuff you scrape out of your sock <laughs> in the dryer? No, no, no. <laughs> Maytag, if you don't know, is the finest blue cheese made in America. I've got some down in the fridge. Wow. If this weren't a live talk cast, we, we would run the around right now and go get it. But we're just going to have to wait till the show's over, which now that we're – I think we can finish this thing up in about 10 seconds. What do you say? Are, are you with me? I think our four listeners are with us, too. 
I think uh, they're still watching American Idol, frankly. We don't know whether, you know, Cat or Taylor perform better, but I never did like Taylor. I just can't get into that guy, and I predict if he wins, he sinks straight to the bottom and has no career whatsoever, because if there's any interest in him at all, it's as a TV personality, not because of his vocal abilities. So anyway, we're riding, 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 riding. My legs are incredibly sore, and my butt is even, you know, twice as sore as both legs added together. But we get to a nice stopping point. We pop the cork on the magnum of Cabernet. This was 40 miles in. We break out two of the four cheeses, and man, was that unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I'd never biked with these three guys before, but they plan to invite me to every event that they do hereafter. (laughs) Biking or, you know, some family picnic or whatever because they they love, they absolutely love the wine. It was such a great thing. thing. And in a similar, shorter story. (laughs) Are you accusing me of being long-winded? I'm trying, I'm only doing this out of the goodness of my heart so you have time to drink your wine. I haven't had nearly the time to drink tonight as you have because I've been trying to keep the show going and not leave spaces and all the things that we can't edit out because it's not digital. Tell your story. Your comment was longer than my story. <laughs> no, I, In need a to, similar way, I need to drink. I had two friends that covered for me. I'm a, I am a dentist. Ah, the passion one is a dentist. This is good stuff. You delicious? just take the show home. I'm drinking the rest of the time. <laughs> they covered for me while I was on vacation, and I gave them each some bottles of homemade wine, and they were almost crying. And after all, Dave, aren't people of paramount importance? (laughs) They are of paramount importance. It's all about people. Paramount (laughs) importance. Not politics. I'll get to my my, uh, third peeve at the next show, by the way. You know, I'm doing a very poor job as host. I'm doing a very poor job as host in drawing you out here (laughs) on your peeves. Oh, I can draw on my own. We got your first, second, and fourth peeves, your fourth being my interrupt. And then uh, since we're we're running a little long, though, we should really uh, keep keep this thing moving. We should. And And, uh, I think we covered the major topics of pressing, right? We have. We have. And um, hope, folks, when you're making your wine in the future, hey, Break a leg. Break a leg? <laughs> no, you know, now wait a second. You don't say break a leg when you're making wine because that could happen. <laughs> right? Remember when we hauled those 400-pound barrels down the steps? People could have been killed. Uh, what should I say? Break a sweat? <laughs> we definitely break? broke a sweat. Break a leg. Break a leg, you say that when you're in theater. That's like good luck for... Well, making wine is... Sort of like theater, isn't it? All right, break a leg. Where does break a leg come from? <laughs> Somehow I think you have the answer. You do You do uh, have a sense of uh, a paramount intuition there. <laughs> this phrase, break a leg, which we would like to be wished each time we start one of these podcasts, it, it dates back to the 1920s. It's a, super, it's a superstition against wishing an actor good luck, right? right? So you don't say good luck, as we saw in The Producers. You never say good luck. I love that movie, Producers. I saw the show. I saw the original movie. Brilliant. Many people think the origin comes from 1865 when 
John Wilkes Booth, who was an actor, shot Lincoln and jumped onto the stage to escape and in so doing broke his leg. Right? I didn't know he broke his leg. Oh, he did. He absolutely did break his leg. And then some doctors, some guy attended to him as a doctor and then was convicted as a co-conspirator yes, and yes, hung. Yes, right. Right? That all was the breaking of the leg thing. I didn't know he broke his leg. Wow. Well, it turns out it has nothing to do with that. And by the way, I got this from a website. We were sitting here before uh, an open window. And it's late May, and it was... 32 degrees this morning when I got up. It was cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. (laughs) Now, I mentioned that. Let me go to Morris. (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) You don't need to go to that because there's a story with this. The same website, idiomsite.com, on which I'm reporting, or where I got the information about break a leg, has this whole story about freezing the balls off a brass monkey. Here is their story. Now, get this. It turns out that ships of old had cannon. Do you say cannon or cannons? Do you put the plural or not? It depends on how much you want to pay for the story. (laughs) Okay, I like cannons with the S. But they had cannons. You had to keep the cannonballs, you know, somewhere close to the cannons. The most convenient way to stack cannonballs was to, you know, have one that rested on four, that rested on nine, that rested on 16. But you had to do something to keep the ball together at the bottom. And it turned out the most efficient way to do that was what was called a monkey. It was a metal plate that had 16 depressions in it so that the 16 cannonballs on the bottom of the stack would sit there on the monkey. Right. But if you made the monkey out of iron and the cannonballs out of iron, you would get a very quick rusting in this, you know, sea air and mist and, and salt. And so Hurry up, Luigi, the, another ball. It's they, stuck. <laughs> it's stuck. Right. So they made the monkey out of brass. So the, the bottom of the cannonball stack is a monkey. Now, the coefficient, being the numbers guy, the coefficient of expansion of brass is much greater or less than I should do. Different from the coefficient. I don't want to blow this and get all sorts of hate mail from Anne or, or other listeners. The coefficient of friction, or sorry, <laughs> friction. See, now I would have edited that out, but we're just going to go with it. The coefficient of expansion. You shouldn't have served me that last glass of wine. Of one of these metals is point zero 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 one two, and of the other one is zero 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 one nine. So there's a different amount of expansion between brass and iron. And so the expression actually comes from when you get good weather, the brass would contract more than the iron, and suddenly the iron balls would not be sitting over the right depressions on the brass monkey, and therefore you froze the balls off the brass monkey. That's where that expression comes from. Now, I think you're busting my (laughs) brass. I am absolutely (laughs) telling... Anyone who doubts this, go to idiomsite.com. But, and before you write in, please, this is, this is what is reported on idiomsite.com. You read it, and that's Freezing what it will say. Freezing the balls off a brass monkey. So it's all about the... When the you, you mentioned fair weather. When the temperature got cold and would freeze, these difference in coefficient of expansion... Well, presumably you could boil the, brass off the, the balls off the brass monkey as well. You're busting them right now. <laughs> But anyway, the, you, were you 
Did you finish the Break a Leg? No, I'm coming back to that. But it's from the same site, which is the relevance <laughs> of the story. So let me <laughs> now. Don't make me laugh. The story on idiomsite.com turns out to be as that says reported. You go there, read it today yourself. Completely false. If you do the math, seeing the numbers. What the brass monkey balls? False. false. The story I just told you, even though that's what it says on Idiom Site, it's completely false. Well, we've this is. <laughs> this is proving to be true on every idiom we've looked up. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Well, that's why we bought the Morris Dictionary. Oh, that's been helpful. Very, very, yeah, that's well, really it? helping us get back it's away from the illusion of knowledge killing. to some real good hard knowledge. So the, um, you do the math on the expansion, and you'd actually have to have 100 degrees uh, Celsius change from freezing Ooh. to boiling to get happen. a one millimeter difference in the expansion of iron and brass. Mm. That's not going to freeze not the balls happen. off of anything. So right. it actually goes back to the uh, monkey, the, the see no evil, hear no evil, do no evil, or whatever it was. They made these brass monkeys that were in those three figures, and eventually that evolved into the expression. So it is actually a blue expression as opposed to something that's navel. That's that's the truth, but it goes to show that you can't believe everything you read on the internet. Especially with idioms. But that said, so the same so site. John Wilkes Booth broke his leg after shooting Lincoln, which by the way, I need to interject one yeah, last thing, yeah. and I promise this is the last time I'll interject. Although my interjections are a lot shorter than yours. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln was Jewish? <laughs> I know where this is going, and you did this once before, and I edited it out. But since this is a live show, no, I didn't know that Abraham Lincoln was Jewish. Tell me about it. Yes, he was shot in the temple. <laughs> right. Oh, what a shocker that is. It turns out this whole booth thing had nothing to do with break a leg. Here is the theory, and this was simply submitted by some guy at idiomsite.com, one of their readers who said, hey, it's not the booth thing. I looked it up in the Morris Dictionary. He has no real guidance on it either. Break a Leg, at least as best we know, started in the ballet theater productions where the dancers came out for curtain calls. And the rod that allows for the curtain to be raised and lowered is called the leg. So break a leg means to get so many curtain calls that the leg breaks in two. It wasn't a human anatomy at all when they said break a leg. Mm. So the um, author of this says you might want to put that out there to correct your site to the idiom folks. Now, I can totally believe the idiom site folks are wrong. I don't know if this guy is right or not. Morris has researched the heck out of this thing. He doesn't really know. It turns out a lot of these idioms, we don't know where they come from. They're just not documented. They're just sort of street talk. I mean, um, it's hard to get the facts from the folklore with these. But you know what? I think that makes it all the more fun. I think that's true. It, It does make it sort of fun. We're an hour 26 into this. We need to wrap it up. We've talked all about pressing. I do want to share just a few last idiom thoughts with you. Idioms in different languages can be interesting. We say bite the bullet, which is ultimately to do something you know needs to be done and is sort of distasteful. It comes from the Civil War when literally there was no anesthesia. You had to bite the bullet. 
In German and Danish, they say, bite the sour apple. Sort of makes sense, similar expression, but I like this one. We talk about how somebody butchers the language. <laughs> In fact, we probably demonstrated how people butcher the Shop language. Shot me a pound there, <laughs> Spanish <this>. boy. <laughs> it turns out in French, they say, instead of he butchers the language, which is sort of, you know, we're not cutting on anybody, being Americans right. and the multicultural. We embrace it all. In France, our favorite country, they say, he speaks French like a Spanish cow. Instead of butchering the language, that's what you say. Boy, they embrace all <laughs> cultures, don't they? And We're still looking for French sponsors. One last tip for listeners as we wrap this up. You don't ever want to say, after a big meal, I'm stuffed. If you happen to be in the UK. I was in the UK last year, and it turns out to be stuffed in the UK. I mean, obviously, in, in the US, you've just had a nice Thanksgiving dinner. I'm stuffed right. or whatever. You went out too much food from the buffet. But it, in the UK, means to be sexually well-serviced. So stay away from that one. <laughs> I am stuffed. Not cool in the UK. By the way, if you happen to be listening well, to the show... <laughs> okay. I guess you're right. I don't, it does depend. That brings us to the conclusion, though, of really what is my favorite step in winemaking, save for the drinking of your finished product, the, the, the pressing and... You have your first wine, and this is such like instant gratification. You're only one or two weeks into it at this point. You've got your 14% alcohol, and it tastes great. We will be back next week, same time, Tuesday night, 8.30 or 9 o'clock. If you want to join us live. To we'll have all the technology ironed out. Yeah, maybe or maybe. maybe not. Maybe not. But if you do want to join us live, as apparently Ann did briefly and Wolf and Aaron and a few others, you can send us an email on cellardwellers, dot, cellardwellers at talkshoe.com. Ask us how to get access to the beta for this technology, and we will send you the instructions. Next time, we're going to get all into the details of barrels or glass, oak or oak chips, different kinds of oak chips. What does oak do to wine anyway? Why don't they use other kinds of wood like terebinth? I think we talked about that, terebinth chewing gum. That's for our next show. Until then, passionate guy, it's been a wonderful night. Enjoy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.